When she was asked in an interview back in 1989 what motivated her work for the dying and destitute in the scourged city of Calcutta, Mother Teresa replied, We try to pray through all our work by doing it with Jesus, for Jesus, and to Jesus. That helps us to put our whole heart and soul into doing it, the dying, the crippled, the mentally ill, the unwanted, the unloved. They are Jesus in disguise. Her work, her vocation, was what one might call a sacramental encounter with Christ in the people she encountered on a daily basis. She treated people as if they were Jesus, in the disguise of commonplace, frail, ordinary humanity, hungry, thirsty, a stranger, naked and ill. Now this week, we are continuing our look at the rule of St. Benedict, and today our focus is on people. And in his most important rule, St. Benedict tells us, let everyone that comes be received as Christ. <coughs> and about our behaviour, he says, your way of acting should be different from the world's way. <coughs> the love of Christ must come before all else. You are not to act in anger nor nurse a grudge. Rid your heart of all deceit. Never give a hollow greeting of peace. Or turn away when someone needs your love. Because St. Benedict found Christ in people, care within his monastery and the treatment of each person was, was to be as generous towards the stranger the traveller, the guest, the sick, and the novice, as it was to the abbot. Each was to be regarded as Christ. Let everyone that comes be received as Christ. And so St. Benedict's rule sets out a welcoming approach to people which makes space for each individual to grow. The Benedictine community existed for the benefit of each individual seeking and growing in Christ, and not vice versa. And just like the rest of the world, Christian communities are made up of a motley crew of people. People who need to be allowed to grow and not to be defined by their past. We are a group of people who need to grow as individuals into Christ, just like the Benedictine monks, and simultaneously learn how to embrace others with that same welcome that Christ made to those on the margins of society, to those outcast from society, even those hated by the society of the day. Jesus repeatedly affirmed their value. He extended a warm and affirming that we must also make 
as we meet Christ in others, just as St. Benedict did. He demonstrated to us that every person is an object of God's loving care, with an equally important role to play in the world, and with the possibility for flourishing. It's easy to say that, but it's not always e so easy to welcome and make space for people, because some people are difficult to love. They might seem undisciplined, dodgy even, stubborn perhaps, peculiar, strange and different. And sometimes we're frightened. But Jesus' welcome was radical. And we too must offer a radical welcome to peoples whose lifestyles we might not approve of, but who need to know God's transforming love. And the more I am able to see Christ in others, the more I realise that I also have work to do on my own behaviour. And that's a good thing. And this might involve heart-stopping leaps of faith, and what I heard described the other day by the Chief Rabbi, Lord Jonathan Sachs, as aerobic listening. I don't know whether any of you go to the gym. Probably all. I don't. I know I should get more exercise, but a brisk walk from one of the Cambridge Theological Federation Colleges to the other is about as much as I can manage. And back again, of course. But once upon a time, I used to go to an aerobics class. And I remember how it made my heart race, and my muscles tense, and my eyes water. Mind you, I can get that just walking from Westminster College to Ridley. But, those are, um, but sometimes I get those same feelings when I'm really listening to someone. Listening so as to receive them as Christ. Listening with my whole being and completely engaged. Particularly if I'm listening to someone who has a difficult and distressing story to tell about themselves and their predicament. I feel my heart race, my muscles tense, and on many occasions, my eyes water. Aerobic listening. The very first word in the rule of St. Benedict is listen. And Ian may have mentioned that when he spoke three weeks ago, I don't know, because unfortunately I wasn't here. Now, I don't know whether any of you remember the song, uh, the Rainbow Song, which I learned as a child. I might just be showing my age or something else, I don't really know. And I won't embarrass myself by trying to sing it, but the words are red and yellow and pink and green, purple and orange and blue. I can sing a rainbow, sing a rainbow, sing a rainbow too. Listen with your eyes. Listen with your eyes and sing everything you see. You can sing a rainbow. Sing a rainbow. Sing along with me. Do any of you remember that? Not just me. Listen with your eyes. 
how odd. But God asks us to listen in a way that engages more than just our ears, and look in a way that engages more than just our eyes. He asks us to look and understand, see not only the beauty of the rainbow, but also the pain of people. Our listening to other people should involve a kind of mindfulness and awareness which can turn listening into a living response. In her book, Seeing God, Esther de Waal explores the rule of St. Benedict. In it there are a number of prayers and poems. One in particular struck me as a beautiful and important reminder that we should meet with people with every fibre of our being. I looked at him, not with the eye only, but with the whole of my being, overflowing with him as a chalice would with the sea. People mattered to St. Benedict. For him, there were no hierarchies. His rule provided a basis on which every individual could flourish because of his extraordinary sensitivity to people, each of whom he saw as a precious gift, uh, a precious uh, God-given gift, and each of whom has a special gift of their own. Benedict reminds us that it's because we are accepted by Christ that we can accept others and accept ourselves. In Luke's Gospel, as we heard earlier, and in both Mark's Gospel and Matthew's Gospel, because it's so very important, we can read the great commandment that we are to love God and love our neighbour as ourselves. And it's here that I sometimes struggle because I know that I am flawed and I really don't like that much. Yet I also know that I am made in God's image and that, like you, I am the object of God's redeeming love. So, not loving myself puts me in the false and unchristian position of failing to love what God loves. If we lack a basic self-esteem, we fail to value ourselves as God values us, attending to our own needs without excess is usually necessary in order to be able to care effectively for others. And Benedict knew that very well. It's only the person who loves and respects her or himself who can truly be self-forgetful because only she or he can escape from the trap of self-preoccupation. Loving myself involves knowing myself as I really am, set free from wishful thinking, accepted, loved and forgiven by God through his grace. Now in St. Benedict's school, all three dimensions of love are enabled to grow together. Love for God, love for others and love for self. His rule provides for and is sensitive to the needs and flaws of each individual. 
He hopes that all of us will be patient with the weaknesses of others. And he preferred mercy to justice. What matters to him and for us is the quality of our relationships. Welcome and hospitality are fundamental to embracing people. And each time we encounter people, we should be asking ourselves two questions within the busyness of that hospitality. Did we see Christ in them? And did they see Christ in us? So where do we encounter people? Encounter Christ? And where can they encounter Christ in us? While we are on our way to work, like the priests and the Levites in the story of the Good Samaritan, more than likely they were on their way to the temple. On our travels, like the Samaritan, or when we are making our way along the pavement in a busy city centre, at our door, at our own table, whilst we go about our work as usual, like the innkeeper, in a meeting with a friend perhaps, a friend who's in a pickle, or a chance encounter. And how will we respond? Like the priest or the Levite hurrying on in, on in our busy or distrustful way, full of our excuses as they were, they couldn't touch them, then. What if he was dead? Touching a dead person would have made them ritually unclean. They were more than likely on their way to the temple, so they really couldn't risk making themselves unclean, could they? For the innkeeper, willing enough to help if there's something in it for him, and the price is paid. We all like to think that we are like the Samaritan, of course, we would set our own safety aside and care extravagantly for the stranger in need. We've learned the lesson from the story well. We know how to behave towards others. But it's worth reminding ourselves that the Samaritan was the outsider in this scenario. And sometimes these days, we Christians can feel like a vulnerable minority within society, like outsiders ourselves. Yet in Jesus' illustration, the hated Samaritan demonstrated an extravagant love for a loathed stranger. You see, the Jews and Samaritans detested each other. <coughs> so Jesus illustrates how we might see God's love demonstrated in the most unexpected places, by the most surprising and unlikely of people. And if the people that we are inclined to mistrust can act in this way, how much more so must we respond without discrimination and with love? We who know the great command given to us in this story and the other Gospels, for the Jewish people of Jesus' day, your neighbour was your Jewish neighbour. The experts in the law of this story knew that well. But for Jesus, Israel's God, 
is the God of grace for the whole world. And a neighbour is anyone in need, friend or foe. Of course, that's not a new concept for us these days. But in Jesus' day, this was radical, risky thinking and teaching. It's hard for us to imagine the rumpus that Jesus' story would have caused. Go and do likewise. He must be mad. Which would have been fine, of course, if Jesus was somebody easy to ignore. But as we know, he was a compelling character. People with a reliable income left their work to follow him, for goodness sake. And most worryingly for the religious people at the time, Jesus spoke with authority. Go and do likewise. What we need to hold on to from this parable is the recurring story that we find in the New Testament and in people like St. Benedict and Mother Teresa. That the story of God's love and grace extends to those we least expect and can, come, and can come from those we least expect as well. The transforming importance of receiving people as Christ and valuing them equally is a thread that weaves its way through Jesus' words and activity. It's a strand that stands out within the fabric of the Bible. And today, God's transforming love is made real where people reach out with God's welcome equally to all and receive people as if they were receiving Christ. There is to be no distinction between folks. All are to be treated equally. For St. Benedict, the cellarer and the abbot in the monastery were held in equal regard and each individual was treated with a consideration for their needs and weaknesses. And in writing to the Philippians, Paul was reminding the people there that they should have the same attitude towards others as Christ had for the world. It is Christ who we must imitate. This might often and necessarily be against the prevailing culture, what we might call countercultural, just as Jesus was countercultural 2,000 years ago. We are to shine like stars as we demonstrate to the world the three best ways of living love God, love neighbour, and love self. From St. Benedict's rule, we can learn a life of moderation and balance in all things, but extravagance in love. So, let everyone that comes be received as Christ. Amen.